And let's just read quickly the last two verses. It's not on the slide there, but chapter 3 says this. This is his commandment, verse 23. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. I don't know if you've ever gone on the internet and looked up prophecy. Uh, Or or perhaps, perhaps you have looked up, I want to know what God's plan for me is. Has anyone ever wondered what God plans for them? Well, uh, go on the internet because you can, for a very reasonable fee, you can go. There's people there who will, who will tell you exactly what God's plan for you is. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. Highly recommended if you want to be outside the church. <laughs> These, uh, we, we have so many people out there who will claim to speak for God. There are, of course, those who do it under the guise of, I'm a Christian. But there are many who do it under the guise of, Well, I speak to the higher being. I can give you guidance for life. Mediums, psychics. I I believe, I don't know if it's still on, but there was a TV show that you could phone in to a psychic. I've never understood why you actually have to phone a psychic to ask the question. They should just say, "And, and Roy from Broken Hill is wanting to know this. I suppose the phone gives them the money. But it's, it's interesting here because just because people claim it doesn't mean they can actually speak with power and authority. But also just because people claim it doesn't mean they don't speak with some power. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament which confuses me completely uh, where King Saul, who God has said, I'm not talking to you, goes and finds a medium who calls up the spirit of the prophet Samuel, who basically ticks him off and says, What are you doing, mate? That's not a godly power. And yet there is a power there. The situation that John is writing to, remember, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, where there have been some people going around saying, You don't have the fullness of truth. There is more to this life than what the, the Bibles and the apostles and those who saw Jesus uh, are, are telling you. In fact, there's more to God than Jesus lets on. These are the same sort of people who are going around saying that, that, that possibly the matter is evil and the spirit is good. These are the same sort of people going around going, well, yes, you need Jesus if you're a sinner, but I don't sin. I don't do any wrong things. Probably the way they did that is to to rewire and reword what wrong means. Because I'm spiritual. What I do in my body doesn't actually matter. John's writing to these people. They've they've basically uh, left the church in the end. And John has said the reason they've left... Uh, well, th- because they've left shows that they were never really part of us. And in- instead, John says, no, don't, don't be taken in by them. What-, what I want you guys to be characterized by is a love for God and a love for people. And so we come here to, to the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, and-, and the question that John brings to us here is, well, how do we know who we should be listening to? 
As Christians, we have the Spirit of God living in us. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear. When, when you become a Christian, God takes up residence in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. It is by that Spirit that we call God Father. We are joined into, into fellowship with God. Remember, fellowship means uh, unity, partnership, the most intimate of relationships. The problem is that it's very easy to say, I have the Spirit in me. It's very easy to say, I speak for God. Should we trust people just because they say, I speak by the Spirit of God? Should we trust them just because what they do is incredible and perhaps even miraculous? Do you remember the plagues uh, that God brought against Egypt? Um, Moses uh, did them under God's command. Well, God did them through Moses. But, but remember the first few plagues, Pharaoh said, Oh, that, that's nice, Moses. And he called in his tame magicians who did the same thing. They ran out of steam, I think, when they got boils and they couldn't move. Should we trust someone just because they come up to us and say, Nick, I have a word from the Lord for you. See, for John, in today's passage, he wants us to know that there are two spirits active in this world today. There is the Spirit of God who glorifies and elevates Jesus, who, who is constantly pointing us to Jesus, who is working us to make us more like Jesus. And there is the spirit of the Antichrist, the, the, the spirit who is welcomed by the world, who, who sabotages the truth of Jesus. When we talk about Antichrist, we, we talk about the spirit which stands in opposition to Jesus. I read a, a, a great story about some students at university who were doing work in DNA, and, and they were DNA profiling uh, some really nice, expensive fish. And it was wonderful, except their DNA results weren't right. Turns out the fishmonger had been labeling the cheap fish as the expensive fish. It's very easy to confuse cheap fish with expensive fish if we take it by the value of the label. Let's just see, show of hands, does God speak to people today? Absolutely. Absolutely God does. But... But how do we know if God is speaking through that person? Verified by God's word? Because it comes to pass. That, that's exactly, that, that is one of the key Old Testament tests. Um, I believe it's um, um, Deuteronomy 18, but, but let's have a look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 28 verse 9. Jeremiah was one of those prophets. He alone was saying, God's going to bring judgment. Everyone else is going, no, no, God's, God likes us, God likes us. Jeremiah said in 28 verse 9, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent that prophet. That's a great test. Does what they say actually happen? That's a fantastic test in retrospect. But how do I know now? The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. 
But what if my spirit is confused? It's a good test. It's a good test. But, but my feelings can get all mixed up and I can get caught up in the emotion. And I can go, well, there's a great psychological test. And, and I'm not diminishing the Holy Spirit. But, but the way we work as well, there's a great psychological test where you get everybody in a room except for one person you've told that whole room, when I hold up an orange and ask you what it is, you say it's an apple. And the number of people, when they are the one person who wants to say it's an orange, who hear everyone else say it's an apple, they go, oh, it's an apple? How do we know? Do we follow because the crowd follows? I want to suggest to you, that these, these are great tests. Scripture, does it come to pass? What does my spirit say? These are great tests, but, but there are some uh, objective tests that I think John wants to remind us of, and, and we've already we've spoken about them a little bit in the service. Uh, but before we get to that, I want you to note, it's not very clear in our passages, uh, in our translations, that the, the, uh, the words in this paragraph, these six verses, are plural. When John says, we must test the spirits, we must be discerning, he speaks about us doing it. Um, When I, in isolation from everyone else, make myself the arbiter of truth, there can be a problem. Because I can be misguided, I can be deluded. We need the church to come together. We need the the body of Christ to discern together whether someone is speaking for God or not. So let's just remember that uh, it is as the body of Christ that we together discern whether God is speaking. So what are these tests? Let's let's start with the first one. Verses 1 to 3, John says, test what they say with particular emphasis on what they say about Jesus. Uh, testing prophets, as we've said, is not something new. It's, it's ever since God has been walking with his people that we've, we've had to test that. Uh, one test, as, as Gloria said, if, if they say something, does it happen? But Deuteronomy 13 has another test for us. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, have a read of it when you get home, says, even if a prophet says something, And it then happens. And then they turn around and go, And now let us go and worship idols and follow other gods. Deuteronomy 13 says, Yep, they passed the first test. They said something had happened. And now they're leading you away from God. They are not speaking for God. Why would God lead people away from himself? And and I I think this is... The the same sort of test, the same key that John gives us today. John says what they say actually matters. Do they lead people towards Jesus or do they lead people away from Jesus? In in fact, I, I would say that John's key test to ask of anyone that you hear, please be asking it right now, to ask of anyone that we hear is what do they say about Jesus. You see, if you read the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 16 is a great one to read at home uh, this afternoon. Uh, Jesus says that the work of the Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus and to lift Jesus up. The person of Jesus 
is the touchstone of whether something is true or false. Jesus stands at the center. And Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 12. But, but, but John here is focused in the incarnation. Because that's what they were uh, going against in this particular church. You see, refusing to confess Jesus means denying Jesus' true person. Means denying that Jesus had an existence before he became human. Jesus has always been God. If Jesus wasn't God, how could we know God? So if somebody says, well, no, no, Jesus wasn't God before the incarnation, we've got an issue because we don't know who God is. The Bible says clearly that, that Jesus reveals God to us. He is God made known to us. He is God made flesh. Refusing to confess Jesus, denying the person of Jesus, says that, that Jesus is not the Christ. Christ, Messiah, Savior, Rescuer. Anyone who denigrates Jesus' role and says, well, you don't need Jesus to be saved, is not speaking for God. I watched a video of, uh, of Joel Olstein on an American late-night TV show, and the presenter asked him, well, can, can a non-Christian non go to heaven? And he said, well... I believe, I can't do American accents, I believe what I believe, but, but it's not up to me to decide. I, I don't know. If you hear a pastor say, I suspect maybe there's a chance that even if you don't believe in Jesus, you will be with God for all eternity, that person is not speaking for God. But the other way we can deny the person of Jesus is to deny that Jesus, God before all time, the rescuer that we need, is to deny that he also is fully human. That he became God with flesh. Because if he wasn't fully like us, he couldn't take our punishment for us. We deserve, because we have rebelled against God, we deserve to be executed as rebels. Like, like those two waiting on death row in Bali. They did the crime. They're going to face the punishment. That's what we deserve. Except Jesus, because he is fully like us, took our place for us. If you deny those three things, you, you rip the living heart out of our faith. Yeah, but how do you know, Nick, that this is true? Well, because of the testimony of Scriptures. Because of the, the prophets that spoke about it for thousands of years and because of the witness of those who saw Jesus before and after his resurrection. See, if someone claims to speak for God and yet rejects the person of Jesus, they are clearly not speaking for God. God. That's exactly what John says. If someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person instead has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. 
but you belong to God. My dear children, you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Christians have overcome the false prophets. Can I have it? Amen. Okay, can someone explain to me how we've done that? How, how can John look at us and go, Yes, you have overcome the false prophets, these teachers of Antichrist. It, John's writing to a church where the false prophets are growing in number. They've left the church, but they're still they're influencing it. They're strong. They are, they're, they're, they're in society. They're challenging the, the existence of the church. And, and to this day, we have leaders and prophets who, who deny God, who deny Christ, who reject God's Word, who reject the Bible, who, who reject this whole notion of seeking to be holy, of, of following God and, and putting God first. And How can John say we have overcome? I, th- I think maybe it's because we have overcome in the sense that they have not pulled us away from Christ. In fact, Christ is infinitely stronger than the Antichrist. That's not like positive and negative that cancel each other out. There is a superabundance of, of Christ. You see, we have overcome in that we have recognized and refused to follow their teaching, no matter how impressive it is. We have overcome because as a church together we have assessed and said, no, that is not in keeping with, with what Christ has revealed. Or yes, that is in keeping what, with what God has revealed. We have overcome because we have not followed them. Jesus himself said in John 10 verse 5 that, that his sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, he says they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. You see, false teachers belong to this world. Verse 5, they belong to this world. And so they speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world listens to them. This world is their origin. This world provides their audience. This world provides the worldview from which they, they operate. Now, it is a... a a fact, I believe, that there are few people around in our world today who do not mind Jesus. In fact, most people like Jesus. As long as you domesticate him. If you take away the fact that he is God, if, if you take away the fact that he's a savior, because we don't need saving, or, or you take away the fact that he is in God, that he is God made flesh, God incarnate. I have a Muslim friend, and he keeps telling me that they value Jesus as a prophet of Allah. People like Jesus. As long as you don't insist that he is God come to save us. He is the the cornerstone of our faith, but he is the stumbling block to the world. And so false teachers, it's very easy. In, in fact, it is inevitable that they deny the person of Jesus. When one speaks what people want to hear, is it any wonder that you get an audience? 
Don't you just love being told, you're all right. You're okay. You don't have to change. Change a little bit, but you're okay. Basically, essentially, you're all right. These ideas of sin and judgment and and needing saving. They, 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 look, we've moved on. It's 2,000 years since then. We are more astute, more grown up today. Or perhaps we go the other line. The false teachers insist, no, you, you need to work hard to be acceptable to God. Because, because God is God and you are a worm. And, and just, just do the work and work harder, work harder, work harder. Because if you don't work harder, God's not going to like you at all. Different people, different personalities go for different options there. But both options reject Jesus. The first option rejects the fact that we need a Savior. The second option rejects the fact that Jesus says, it's not what you do, it's what I do that saves you. But we, says John, in verse 6, we belong to God. He's speaking there, I believe, of the the prophets, uh, sorry, the apostles, uh, those who are teaching the truth about Christ, we belong to God. And those who belong to God listens to what we say. They listen to the truth about God. They, They know the truth when they hear it, which is what you were saying a little bit, Pam. Jesus said in in John 8 verse 47, anyone who belongs to God gladly listens to the words of God. The false teachers then as today claim to know God, but they refuse to listen to the apostles' teaching. Now in, in this particular context, that meant rejecting John outright. For us today, that means rejecting what God has revealed through the apostles and, and what they've written. And instead twisting it and, and adding new truth to it. Says John, they try to imitate our shepherd's voice. They speak from a, a spirit of deception. But we know our shepherd's voice. It's the only way we can actually know God is because God has made himself known. He's made himself known in his son. God has revealed himself in Jesus. And so the test that John leaves us with, the second test is, does what they say line up with what God has revealed of himself? Particularly what God has revealed of himself in Jesus, as witnessed to and testified to by the apostles. Uh, Let's finish and, and say, false teachers, false prophets, can be just as persuasive today as those in the first century. And they can be just as lethal. They, they, they will agree that the Bible has authority, but not the final authority. They will affirm, we believe in the resurrection. But not that God was actually raised from the death in Jesus. That Jesus was raised. They will affirm that Jesus spoke for God, but they will deny that he is God. And John's point is clear. He says, accept no substitutes. Don't settle for second best. 
Now John was writing into a particular historical context with people denying the incarnation, denying that Jesus is God, and, and so his tests are, are tailored specifically to that situation. But, but behind it all lies the person of Jesus, and the person of Jesus stands as the test of all teaching that claims to be from God. The question that we are to ask is, do, uh, sorry, do they represent the real Jesus? Is there Jesus Savior? Is there Jesus Lord? Is there Jesus God incarnate, as promised in, in the prophets, as witnessed by the apostles? Does their teaching put Jesus at the center, or does it relegate him to the side or diminish him off into the, the distance? What do we do when we hear someone speaking falsely? He says, John, don't follow them. That's how we've overcome. We've overcome by not following them. And if we don't follow them, it implies that we don't give them a, a voice to speak to us. Yes, we must allow for people to challenge our theology. But we cannot just accept what everyone says for the sake of accepting everyone. This is an interesting passage, isn't it? It's full of joy and life and happiness and words like love and compassion. This is a difficult passage. I was uh, going through next week's passage and I said to Tara, next week's passage is so nice. It's all about God's love. And this week's passage is all about false teachers and make sure you, you test and you assess. And this is more sort of rubber hits the road kind of stuff. You know what? This is important. We as a church have a responsibility to listen to our master's voice. To not be sidetracked by the, the bailiff who claims that he has taken over. If I can leave you with a positive, well, let, let me leave you with, with an exhortation and a positive. Together, let us test the spirits. Let us keep Jesus at the center of our lives, of our church's life, and at the center of how we hear everything. But let me encourage you by saying that with all of this talk about false teachers, don't fret. We belong to Christ. He is overcome. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We are more than conquerors. And our Savior is returning soon. Brothers and sisters, God bless you. May your ears be open. May we not blindly accept everything that we hear. May we as a church be discerning. May we as a church keep Jesus at the center. By His Spirit, may we recognize His truth. Amen.